Well, here we are, ready to dive into lesson number six in the series, The Life You've Always Wanted, But Need Spiritual Discipline to Obtain. A couple of reminders as we get started on this lesson. First, remember that our goal is genuine transformation. We're trying to see ways that we can contribute. We call those purposeful activities or spiritual disciplines that we can bring to bear that can help us become more and more like Christ. We're bearing in mind the passage in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says that we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. The Christian walk is a pursuit of transformation, and that transformation requires both training and discipline. So we're learning how to arrange our lives around a whole series of purposeful activities. And our goal is that we would be in a better position to live out the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians chapter 5. So the purposeful activity or the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about today is prayer. My earliest personal memories of prayer uh, start when I was pretty young. I would guess four, uh, maybe even five years old. My mom and dad would gather my brother and I at the end of the day around one of our beds. We would all kneel down and have family prayer. Now, admittedly, uh, the beginning of that time was the reciting of some memorized prayers that were a part of our church life. But towards the end of our prayer time, uh, we got to just freely express what was on our hearts. And I can remember that one of the consistent prayers that I prayed was, God bless mommy and daddy. Uh, it was the beginning of, a, of an understanding of the kind of conversation we're supposed to be having with God. Right before we begin the, the details of thinking about prayer, I, I want to give us all, though, a caution. And, and the caution is this, that prayer is a, is a learned behavior. I learned it by participating as a young child. Nobody is born an expert at it, and nobody ever masters prayer. We have a tendency, though, to look around at other Christians and, and compare our prayer life or our ability to pray, specifically pray out loud, we do the comparisons and, and we, we have a, a longing in our hearts to, to master it. But the truth of the matter is, Thomas Merton in his book, The Common Prayer, he said, we don't want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all of our lives. And I believe that to be true. Prayer is a learned behavior that we never master. So comparing ourselves to someone else is a fruitless uh, ex expression. So let's talk about what prayer really is. Prayer is not a wish or a hope. It's not a, a, a laundry list of things that we present uh, before God, hoping that things will change. It's also not a, a quiet meditation, some 
Some religions would make us think that prayer is just the absence of noise, but it's much more than a passive reflection time. It is, in its simplest terms, a conversation with God. It's our ability to talk to him, and that conversation springs out of a common life with us and God. Prayer is so much more than just a a list of things that we want or need, whether they're for us or for someone else. I love the little acronym, uh, A-C-T-S, ACTS, because it forces me when I go to prayer to remember that prayer itself ought to contain at least four separate things. The A-C-T-S stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and finally Supplication, or the the process of asking. Let's talk about adoration at the beginning of our prayer time. It's a way to worship. It's a way to give God the glory that he, he so richly deserves. Uh, an example of, of this kind of adoration is found in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2. And it's the story of Anna, a prophetess that was found um, in, uh, in the temple. Um, Mary and Joseph have come to, to uh, present Jesus. And the Bible says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of somebody of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage um, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiping night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the kind of life that we're supposed to be living, uh, where there's worship day and night, there's fasting and praying and giving thanks to God, all wrapped up in that first element of prayer, which is adoration. The Bible gives us a great deal about the second uh, element too, confession. The primary verse that, that uh, comes to mind is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, confession is just saying the same thing about a sin that God does. It's acknowledging it. We don't whitewash it. We don't make it sound better than it really is. We just go to the Lord, and before we ever get to any kind of a list of things that we need, we, we spend time confessing our sin. And then we go into a time of thanksgiving. Um, some authors will suggest that thanksgiving ought to come before confession, but in my own life, I find confession helps set my heart right gets my attitude set right. But Thanksgiving is just the the recounting of God's blessings. It's a way to develop a grateful heart. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 talks about that we're bringing to God prayers and petitions. And then he says, with Thanksgiving, we need to make certain that we are listing for God the things that we've noticed that we appreciate that are part of our life. And then lastly, after there's been a, a time of worship and a time of confession and a time of recounting the blessings of God, finally we get around to, to the asking, to the looking to the Lord for our, 
for our needs. And we're told to do that. God wants us to come to him. God wants there to be a, a dependency uh, and, and a dependency that's expressed, that, that, that shows the focus of our heart. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse number 7, the Bible says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The, the concept there is not that God is a vending machine, but that he is he's looking for us to show our dependence on his goodness. R.C. Sproul has a great quote um, talking about the definition of prayer. He says, Godliness is born uh, out of obedience to Christ. Obedience unlocks the riches of the Christian experience. And prayer is what prompts or nurtures obedience, putting the heart in the proper frame of mind to desire obedience. Prayer sets our mindset towards God. The spiritual discipline that we need to have the life we've always wanted is centered around prayer. Now, I want to remind you that, that praying, praying and prayers in particular are very important to God. They show up in so many different places. One that I particularly like is in uh, Revelation chapter 8. And if you look at that, verses 3 and following, it's a picture of the throne room. As a matter of fact, it's the time when the seventh seal is, is being opened and there was silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. And an angel appears with a golden censer. And in the golden censer, there was uh, much incense. And the Bible says that that incense was the prayers of all the saints. That, that right there in the throne room of God, in the picture of burning incense, are the, are the requests and petitions of God's kids. We're told uh, in Matthew chapter 6, in that great passage when the disciples, having watched Jesus uh, put prayer at the center of his own personal life, they, they asked the question, can you please teach us how, how to pray? And in response to that, Jesus gives, in essence, um, uh, an overarching statement about his um, about how he feels about prayer, how important it is. And, and he says in, in uh, uh, a, a chapter or so before that, in chapter, no, I'm right, in chapter 6, verse number 9. Sorry, I thought I was in the wrong chapter. Anyway, he says, um, uh, don't be like the, the, um, the Pharisees that are just babbling and repeating things. Um, he says in verse 9, then chapter 6, Matthew, that this is how you should pray. And, and there's, a, there's a command in that, in that language, a present imperative. You might translate it, be praying, or maybe keep on praying. This is how you should pray. It is important to God that his kids have a relationship with him, and that relationship is expressed in prayer. Now, if we're trying to put our arms around prayer as a spiritual discipline, Maybe some examples would be helpful. And the most significant example would be the very life of Christ. How often and in what ways uh, did, did Jesus pray? Was it important to him? Was it part of his regular life? And remember, this is God. God in the second person, Jesus Christ. He, as God, thought it was so important 
to stay in regular contact with his father that prayer punctuated his life. He prayed at his baptism at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 3. He prayed on a regular basis. In Matthew 14, he talks about going up to a mountainside to pray by himself. In Mark 1, it remarks that early in the morning, he left his house to a to go to a solitary place to pray. In Luke 5, he talked about withdrawing to a lonely place so he could pray. It was the regular pattern of his life that he pulled himself aside out of the pattern of what was going on with his day and spent time alone with God. He, he, uh, he wanted to teach them how to do that, which is what happens in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. And then we see the incredible time of prayer the night before he died in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. But there is actually recorded for us the substance of, of one of his most significant prayer times. And that's in John chapter 17. If you haven't studied John 17 in a while, I highly recommend after you finish this study that you sit down and, and read carefully John 17. You'll notice that he prays for himself first. Then he prays for all his disciples. And then he broadens it out and prays for all believers in all time periods. He's praying specific things for his disciples, that they would all come to know the Lord, uh, to come to know Christ, to come to know the Heavenly Father, that they would gain eternal life. He prays that they would be united. He prayed that they would be protected from Satan, from the evil one. He prayed that they would be sanctified or set aside, uh, made special in God's truth. He prayed that they would see God's glory and that having all those things happen, then they would be in a position to make his, ma his name known. That's the depth of the kind of praying that Jesus did. And just one last thought before we talk or leave this uh, illustration of Jesus being an example. Ask yourself the question, what is Jesus doing now? Well, according to Romans 8, verse 34, and Hebrews 7, verse 25, he is at the right hand of the Father praying for us right now. In fact, the Hebrew passage says he always lives to intercede for us. That process of prayer that we saw in his earthly life continues today. Only today he's, he's at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of God, remembering me and remembering you in prayer. Now that, that passage that we referred to a moment ago in Matthew 6, where the disciples ask, teach us how to pray, um, this isn't a lesson on that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want you to notice that out of the seven specific requests or petitions that Jesus gives in that prayer, three of them are focused on the glory of God, and then four of them are focused on us, on our good, on our needs. Your prayer time, my prayer time, should not be just about the events of our life. They should be a time that allows us to focus our attention on him and focus on the glory of God first before we get to our laundry list of, of needs. Now, I, I think in this lesson, it's, 
it's important to be a little practical as well. And um, Max Lucado, in his book that we're loosely following, makes a comment of, of two things that you need in order to learn how to pray. And I, and I thought they were very practical and helpful, and I want to give them to you again. The first thing you need in order to learn how to pray is just time. Time. Specified, set-aside, dedicated time. Now, if you're a novice at prayer, don't start out with by you know saying, I'm going to get up at, at 3 in the morning and pray for two hours every single day. First off, that's not going to happen. And second off, that doesn't help develop those kind of grandiose goals. They don't help to develop or train you. They're, they're just wishful thinking. So start out small. Maybe commit to five minutes a day. And make those five minutes at a regular time. In other words, make an appointment and keep it. And, and lastly, under the concept of setting aside time, pray whenever you are at your best. Uh, I am not always at my best first thing in the morning. I've never been a morning person. Uh, my friends refer to me as a bear coming out of hibernation. It takes me a little while to get get aroused and ready to uh, meet the day. So maybe the first five minutes are not the time for me to be in prayer. I've learned to take a little time, grab a cup of coffee, wash my face, uh, get in my favorite chair, uh, close the door, uh, eliminate all the other uh, you know, distractions, set aside my iPad, no social media checking, and get my mind focused so I can pray at my best. But it needs to be a regular time. Not when we get around to it, not if we find time, but because we make time. So two things we need in order to learn how to pray, one time. And secondly, a place. A place, somewhere that will support your efforts to learn how to pray. It needs to be a quiet place. Um, so often when it describes Jesus' prayer life, it talks about him going to a, a solitary place, a lonely place, a place by himself. It needs to be quiet, no distractions. Um, you need to find somewhere that will help you maintain your focus so that there can be no interruptions. Uh, those of you that have families, especially young children, you need to kind of find a, a moment when they're not out and around, running around, maybe first thing in the morning before they're up, maybe in the evening uh, after they've gone down, maybe during nap time, but sometime when you can maintain your focus. This place needs to be where, where you can be reminded that you and God are having a conversation. One author I know suggested pulling up a, a second chair, an empty chair, that that empty chair can be a reminder to you that this is a dialogue, this is a conversation. You and God are talking to each other. One of the things that's always helped me uh, to, to get up and get going with this conversation is I have a mental imagery, um, and, the, and the picture is that, that God got up before me, and he went downstairs, and he started a fire in the fireplace, and he made the coffee, and... Uh, and then when I woke up and I came stumbling down, there it all was. He's sitting there ready, prepared, 
to have a conversation with me. Those mental pictures help us get prepared. Some people I know use candles that when they've lit the candle, it, pre- it prepares their heart to have those meaningful dialogues with God. Some other folks I know use soft music, that that helps support this place. It really doesn't matter where the place is. It can be your car during lunchtime at work. It can be a literal closet in your home. It could be your front deck where no one will bother you. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8 Uh, Paul's talking about he wants men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Everywhere. So find a place and find a time so that you can pray. Now, um, another small caution here. I, I hope that you will keep in mind that prayer is not about a physical position. It's not about kneeling or laying down or eyes closed or praying out loud. As a matter of fact, people in the scriptures prayed while they were kneeling. And in the notes, I gave you lots of locations where that was true. But sometimes they prayed laying down flat, that their hearts were so heavy they couldn't even kneel. Other times people prayed while they were sitting in a chair and some while they were standing. It really doesn't matter. And our eyes do not have to be closed when we're praying. Jesus' eyes were open in John 17. He was looking towards his heavenly Father. We have children close their eyes just as, a, as an assistance for focus. And sometimes it helps me too to close my eyes. But it's not required. We don't have to pray out loud or in our hearts. We can pray either or both. God is interested in us showing up, not the position in which we we take to have that that prayer time. Now, what should be the substance of our prayer life? Well, I love the idea that our lives, excuse me, that our prayers would be simple. Uh, Some authors have even referred to a kind of prayer as simple prayer. Um, The idea is that we are bringing to the Lord those things that are really on our heart, not just the stuff that we think ought to be on our heart, C.S. Lewis once said, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Sometimes prayer is uh, like uh, like fake book. We only put out there what we think uh, people will will appreciate about our lives. These are these are glorified or cleaned up versions of our life, the fake stuff. God's not interested in fake prayers. He's interested in simple prayers, an expression of what is actually in our heart. A second kind of prayer that might be a part of your your renewed prayer life is intercessory prayer. This is the prayer where we pray for the needs of ourself and for others. From the standpoint of what I said a little while ago about making sure that adoration and confession and thanksgiving occurs before our supplications or our intercessory prayers. I I still say that that's a great order, but it is important that we bring to God our requests, our concerns. And again, not just the ones we think we ought to have, but the ones that are real. I'm worried about this. I'm fussing about that. I'm still angry about this. I just can't seem to forgive him. 
These are real prayers and ought to be part of our intercessory prayer. And lastly, when speaking about what, it does, what our prayers ought to be like, the substance of our prayers, they need to be persistent. There is something about persistence in prayer that pleases God. I've thought about that over, over the years, and I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that it's because persistent prayer is an indicator of where our focus and attention is. When we bring things to God over and over and over again, we're saying out loud, I got nowhere else to take this. I don't want to take this anywhere else. I want to be in conversation with you about it. It's heavy on my heart, and, and I, I need to keep talking to you about it. We're told to be devoted in our prayer life in Romans 12. Paul talks about um, us praying without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. And we're told to seek his face continually in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 16. He even gives us a whole story in Luke 18 about um, a persistent widow that kept bugging a judge. When, when we think about it, the, the point is uh, Jesus telling in that parable uh, a purpose for it. He says that they should always pray and never give up. Persistent prayer. Intercessory prayer. Simple prayer. Now, since we're, we're talking a lot in this series about our training, not just our trying, there, there probably ought to be a comment or two about preparing for prayer. Um, again, I'm not talking about a position, uh, a specific location, or even a, a particular time. All of that is up to you and up to the situation and circumstances in your, in your life at, at that moment. But there is, a, there is a universal kind of preparation for prayer that puts us in the right place, in the right time, in the right mindset. And those preparations include things like being fully present. Um, I find in my prayer time that my mind wanders. And so uh, in order to try to maintain my focus, especially as I begin a, a season of prayer, I need to have a pad of paper nearby with a pen because my mind is going to come up with all kinds of things for me to do. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, I need to write that. Oh, I need to call them. And if, if I don't have the pad of paper, I just keep thinking about it. But with a pad of paper, I can jot it down, acknowledge it, and move on. I can, I can be fully present. Even with a few interruptions of, of, of things to do, I quickly acknowledge them, jot them down, and move on. Henri Nguyen once said that when we go to prayer, thoughts jump around in our minds like monkeys jumping on banana trees. I love that quote. And so I tell myself, I got to deal with my monkeys. When my mind starts to wander, I apologize to the Lord for it, and I draw it back. Sometimes there are some external things that we can do that will help us keep our mind focused, especially as a preparation for a season of prayer. Sometimes softly repeating or whispering a phrase or, or even a single word over and over again will draw our attention and our focus towards God. Sometimes using a visual, like, like a candle burning, or something else that suggests a conversation with God, 
Um, I heard of a guy that used to take his phone, and this is in the days when when phones, you know, set on a on a on a cradle, and he would he would unplug the phone, but then take the phone and and lift the the receiver off the cradle and sit it down like you would if you were going to talk to someone. It was a visual that helped him get mentally prepared for that season of prayer. Sometimes you need to just sit there for a few moments and slow your breathing down. The Bible talks a lot about sitting still and waiting on the Lord. These are all things that we can do in preparation for prayer. But no matter how much we talk about what goes into prayer, what kinds of prayer there ought to be, what what uh, what what importance God places on prayer, what kinds of things we ought to to, to specifically pray for, in the end, the most important uh, piece of information that we we need to have about prayer is the fact that it is a relationship. It is a relationship. Dallas Willard once said that prayer is talking with God about what you're doing together with God. See, it's an expression of of two friends going through life and discussing the various aspects and events of that life. Prayer is not a a, a formula. It's it's, It's not an opportunity to go to a godly vending machine and get what we need. It is an expression of a relationship. It is honest. It's straightforward. It's, it's focused. It has elements of gratitude and thanksgiving. It acknowledges our shortcomings. And yes, of course, it includes our petitions, both for ourselves and for others. But at the heart of all of that is, is the understanding that it is an expression of a relationship. Max Lucado tells a story uh, and in his book, and I love this story, it's about a, a guy who was shopping in a mall with a, a two-year-old son. The, the young boy was cranky and, and totally out of sorts, and nothing that the father was doing was settling him down. When nothing else seemed to work, the father finally picked him up, held him in his arms, and he began to sing a song that he was making up as he was going along. You know, I love you, I love the way you laugh, I'm so glad to be your dad. I can't sing, but anyway. Suddenly, you know, that song that um, had no real bearing on any other musical uh, notes or, or musical things that he knew, suddenly that song was doing what nothing else could do. His, his boy's eyes were getting wide and his mouth was closing and he wasn't screaming anymore. And suddenly he started to grin. And after a period of time, he sort of sort of nestled into his father's chest and tucked his head under his dad's chin and and started to listen. So all the way to the car, the dad kept making up that sweet little song, finally put him in the car seat and buckled him up. And the young boy threw his arms around his daddy and he said this, Sing it to me again, daddy. Sing it again. Max Lucado says prayer is like that, with simplicity of heart. We allow ourselves to be gathered up into the arms of the Father and we let him sing his love song over us. Sing it again. Sing it again. 
Doesn't that think, make you think of the passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse number 17? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's a great prayer life. I threw some discussion questions in. First one says, what is one word that you might use to describe your current prayer life? Why did you choose that word? Second one is, what is the greatest obstacle or hindrance that impacts your prayer life? Is there any unconfessed sin that might be blocking it? Third question, do you compare your prayer life to somebody else? Is that a good idea? And lastly, what specific steps training steps can you do this week to improve your prayer life? Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you.